Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. What is it about some of the world's best pineapple drinks arriving in different shades of stunning green? Obviously, that sentiment doesn't ring true for the piña colada, which holds a special place in our heart over here at Cocktail College. Now, instead, I'm thinking of drinks like the piña verde, Eric Castro's modern classic that we covered in episode 72 that's admittedly a subtle shade of green, but didn't early end up being more commonly known as the Grinia colada. And then there's today's vibrant tiki concoction, the Missionary's Downfall. Not just an evocative name, this blend of pineapple rum, mint, peach brandy, and lime fits into that category of cocktails we first devour with our eyes. Beyond this stunning appearance lies a fascinating backstory, complete with characters like Don the Beachcomber and tales of smuggling mint seeds into Hawaii. Walking us through all of that and more is the Italian-born rum enthusiast and exotic drinks connoisseur, Daniele Dalla Pola. Based in Miami, Daniele is an expert on tiki culture and runs the fantastic adjoining bars Esotico and the Kaona Room. It's an exploration of stick versus bar blenders, a dissection on the differences between frozen and slushy drinks, and an imperial shit ton of pineapples and peaches. And it's all right here on the Cocktail College Podcast. Guilty feet ain't got no rhythm. Daniele Dallapola. Nothing to do with our episode today, but <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us on Cocktail College. Thank you very much, Tim. It's a great pleasure and honor to be here. I have to tell you that um, yeah, I was a bit nervous because this is a big thing for me to be here today. Thank you again. It's a big thing for us to have you on today. I'll share this with the listeners. I was recently had the absolute pleasure of paying a visit to uh, two of your bars, uh, adjoining bars in Miami and, and was blown away by the experience. Um, tropical focused drinks at Isotico and a real incredible tiki focus at Kaona Room. And it's at Esotico that you have on your menu, Missionary's Downfall, uh, one of the drinks that I had I'll be honest with you, first time I've ever had that cocktail and I was blown away and I thought, what better for us to chat about today than that drink? So for those who might not be familiar with it, because I think within the tropical and tiki drinks realm, there are a lot of drinks, but maybe only a handful that most people know off the top of their head. And this might not be one of them. So can you explain briefly what's in this drink and and, and, and what the end product essentially tastes like. All right. Um, so, um, Michelin Downfall is, um, uh, wow, it's one, definitely it's uh, my top five list to drink and to make. And um, contain uh, light rum. So, uh, we can talk maybe later about which kind of rum would be better or what. Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, rum and uh, peach brandy. Uh, fresh pineapple, not juice, but pieces, uh, lime, and uh, lime juice, and uh, honey, honey in form of syrup or 
water, depend uh, which gonna are we gonna give you a nice recipe and <laughs> and um, and uh, fresh mint leaves, and it's blended with crushed ice, and served in a, what I serve in a coupet, uh, like a double cocktail coupet. In my case, I use a. Uh, uh, what we call it, the tiki coupet, because the steam has a tiki on it. It's a, like a reproduction of the, one of the oldest coupe from Trader Vic. Mm-hmm. And then wow as well, that we used to make as a martini look like. This is like more a coupe, it's very nice. Fantastic. Uh, you didn't find it. I actually have been part of, uh, collaborate on the design of this coupe as well. Oh, wow. Garnish with a mint, mint sprig that have to be in the middle. And then we're going to go through the recipe yeah. step by step. Yeah. And, you know, folks can check out on your Instagram. Uh, I know you have a couple of photos up there of this drink. And, mm-hmm. you know, really just visually stunning, bright green. That mint really pops on it. And I don't know how many, how often, I'm questioning myself here, but I don't know how often I come across frozen drinks served in that style of glass too right like the the coupette and it's mm-hmm. it's it's really wonderful and you know it it struck me really refreshing daniele can you tell us some of the backstory of this drink and and its origins okay first of all i need to sorry to correct you it's not a frozen drink i i call it uh, i call it slushy but uh, we're gonna go if you through this when we talk about the recipe, like uh, details. Also, uh, we'll post when postcard will be postcast will be out. I will post a recipe so everybody can share it from your side, my side as well. Amazing. Can I ask you then? That I think that's a really interesting point. So, how do you differentiate yourself then between what you would call maybe like a slushy? and a frozen drink. Okay, so Michelin Downfall is a very complex drink because uh, the way you make it, uh, first of all, I think about it, um, there are four different textures because we have the pineapple, which is a piece of fruit, which is the, the meat of the pineapple. The flesh pineapple is kind of, it's weird, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like a, a certain weight. So then we have the meat, which is very light, and there's a herb. Then we have the thickness of the honey, or in our case, we're going to go through this, the blue agave. And then we have the lime, and then we have the rum, and all these ingredients together, They, if you leave it there for a minute, they're going to start to separate. So think about that as well. First of all, uh, when you make the drink, you need to blend the ingredient alone. And as I always say, you taste it, a little taste before you add ice because when you add ice, especially with this drink, it will be impossible to fix it. So, but you need to use an exactly correct amount of ice, depend which glass you want to pour it or you want to serve it. But if you put too less, it becomes watery. If you put too much, it becomes frozen, which is again, water in a different way. Mm-hmm. So you need exactly the amount of ice you need for it. So in this case, what you have to do, and we need to decide which kind of glass you do, you decide the, the proportion of the cocktail you're gonna use for this glass, and then you're gonna use it. What I suggest also, which kind of blender you use. And then a lot of, I see a lot of bartenders, they make missionary down for you ask for one. If you look at the blender, there's another one inside. Mm-hmm. So this means for now, our, no, industry is we we losing money. A lot of waste. A lot of waste. So uh, and uh, so that's why I suggest you use hand blender. You know the immersion blender. You know the what you call it. Uh, when you use the mm-hmm. 
Like a stick blender. A stick blender, exactly. With a stick blender, you can um, also feel the, the, the weight of the ice and everything, and you make only one. If you use a big blender, what's happening is go too fast, and the product uh, and the ingredients start to jump up and down, and uh, that's no good. Nice. So, as Italian, I will say, so you know, Michelin uh, Fall is better to make two, like the risotto. You know, <laughs> you yeah. want to make two because two will really come up perfectly balanced. Mm-hmm. You know, so many great tips already off the bat here, and you know, I appreciate the correction there between frozen and slushy style drink. That's one I'm definitely going to keep in mind. But yeah, maybe we can jump back to the history then uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and talk about the, this drink's origins. Okay, so first of all, uh, the drink was created by Don the Beachcomber. Then I guess uh, everybody knows who is Don the Beachcomber. Actually, Don Beach is the name. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, let's go back in time. The real name is Ernest Fremont Bemont Gunn. And, and he's like the godfather of Tiki, the guy who uh, who invented everything. And now we are here talking about this because of him. And so all the Tiki bar around the world exists is because of him. So he was the creator of the first Tiki bar in 1933 in uh, back in LA. Exactly, it was on McAdam Street and uh, was in a lobby of a hotel. To go fast, there's, there is like books about Don Biscombe, so we can't really talk about him so much. Mm-hmm. But probably maybe another episode. So yeah. now, what, what he did, what he did, he just um, first of all, what amazed me about this man that the name he come out with the cocktails. So he got the coolest name, the Paradiver, because every name has a reason. I give an example before we go and get to the measure for. You know the name. You know the cocktail called the Paradiver. Familiar with it? Yes. Yeah, the Paradiver. Uh, was pretty cool because what he did, he used to put a real pearl inside the cocktail. And every 50 cocktail, actually, he used to put a pearl. So people were drinking, ordering this drink, waiting for, okay, I hope it's going to be in my 50s. So, so and the diver, because you need to dive to get a pearl. You know, some, he always play around with his uh, mm-hmm. cool names, like the tree that does. But So the missionary, you know, for what he said, I mean, this is a legend, you know, so... And uh, it's like, like it's been inspired by uh, this idea of the uh, uh, a missionary losing the inhibition, you know, after consuming this kind of cocktail. <laughs> so even a missionary, when he tastes this cocktail, was like, uh, I was going down. You know, that's why they call it missionary. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, you know. Uh, um, and then yeah. how he come out with this, we really don't know. I mean, I've been searching, digging. I even talked with Jeff Barrett, which is if he doesn't know him, nobody knows. <laughs> so, but I got um, uh, a few things that uh, looks like it was created in the, in the end of 30, but sometime the story bring me also in the 50s because uh, there is a story about the mint that uh, when Don the Beachcomber opened uh, uh, his first place in, um, in Waikiki and um, looks like back in the, those times he couldn't find any mint, any fresh mint in Hawaii and he needed for his cocktails. So one of the three back to Los Angeles, he brought with him, uh, he hide some seeds in the head you know, in the, how you call it, in the, in the headband. Yeah. And it looks like a brought some seed, also some mint spring. And then soon he land, he called his Japanese gardener. He gave it to him and said, hey, uh, please, 
plant this one, I will buy all the meat. You know, you wanna, you know, bring it to me. Wow. And then actually, and then actually, look, as you know, the meat grow a lot and very fast. And and looks like it's show it was showing up very often his door <laughs> to bring the meat, and then uh, this is my personal thing. And then I, I like also probably I can invent the story like a lot of things you know the tiki. Maybe he got so much meat he didn't know what to do. Besides the garden, he started to blend them. You know? <laughs> and then he started, and then how the missionary came out because you need like a handful of meat, you know. Yeah, like we said it up top there, you know, it really does pop visually. This cocktail, it's uh, yeah. so vibrant. Okay, you got the mint. Uh, you're gonna use at least two, three, three mint sprigs because uh, you need one. Depending on being that one or two for the garnish, and then eight, ten. Depending on being they are leaves for the for the cocktail. So I guess it can be an option that you know you gotta. Oh, you know what? I'm gonna try to do this. And then this is what we know. What we, what we know, that's what I am. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm right. I don't know. <laughs> but this is, we don't have we don't have like a proper you know um, history behind. There is like uh, no like uh, 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 some cocktail that we know everything mm-hmm. because it's was was written by somebody or, or even invented you know by that. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. You know. Mm-hmm. Nice and. Um... You know, you mentioned Jeff Berry there earlier too. And, you know, if folks want to do a deep dive on people like Don and Tiki culture, I mean, you pick up a copy of Sipping Safari and you won't go wrong, right? Exactly. That's the step number one if people are looking to explore this category mm-hmm. of cocktails and uh, yeah. drinks. You can get um, the new book of Jeff, the Sipping Safari, then the new version, the 10 years anniversary. Yeah, incredible. And also, uh, I'm there, I have it four pages. Me. Oh, nice. My drink, yes. Nice, very I, nice. And then I also contribute to this uh, book with a lot of material. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I know some uh, my menu, some stuff with Jeff. Uh, we, we, we do work together, some stuff. Very cool, cool man. Amazing. And so I mentioned earlier as well that, you know, like when it comes to, I mean, like, look, we can just look at the, the drinks we've covered in that category already on this show before, right? You know, we've done the Mai Tai, of course, Three Dots and a Dash, Corn and Oil, um, the Zombie, Jungle Bird, you know, like all of these different drinks. So as I say, I feel like those are ones that are maybe more well known. But what about this drink when it comes to bartending culture and drinks culture, you know, contemporary how well known is this? Is this something that other bartenders might come and visit you and 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 ask for your version of? Yeah, definitely is. Um, you know, it's not easy to make. As I say, it, uh, it's not. Uh, you need to make it right. There is not like oh, it's okay or almost there. No, no, no. Oh, it's good. Oh, it's that's it. There is no other way. So it's, mm-hmm. for me. Before somebody make a mission, I don't fall in my bar. I need to taste it. I make sure they do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I need to taste it because it's about first bartender comes. I mean, it's been working with us, even if it's a tiki guy or whatever. I need to see that I'll make a proper missionary downfall. Mm-hmm. So this is a drink. Also, I mean, you know, in our place, it's popular. It's popular because uh, the way we serve it. Also, imagine, um, I think you saw some, you, you've been there, so you know. But for people, they can look up uh, my Instagram or the articles that you see. Them, show them for it's beautiful co-op 
do some cool pad, comes with the dry eyes, this meat pumping up, and smells so nice. It's fresh, it's good like for any time. Can be good any time of the day. You can sip it on when you're having your ceviche, if you if you want a ceviche or whatever. Mm-hmm. In our case, you drink, you eat the poisson cru, which is a Tahitian style ceviche. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have it even after dinner to clean up your palate before getting a, another drink, or just you know, uh, because really clean up your palate. If I have to do a, a, like a dinner with uh, uh, different courses, example, if I have to do um, uh, a meat and fish separate courses, I will put this in the middle so to clean up your palate between meat and fish. Oh so yeah, really can Real. be very, very good. And uh, some people just buy it for curiosity. They order because they like the picture. Uh, but we have several guests that they just want that one. They come, they just drink that one, you know, which is like, and they, and then so they say, oh, I went to this place. They make it. it was, oh my God. And then I say, okay, don't say <laughs> they, they try, you know, it's time to <laughs> yeah. say, okay. I say, I say, guys, this is not easy. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a drink that, uh, you need to be passionate about it. You need to know what you're doing. You know, if it's, uh, uh, example, a pineapple is not right, it's not going to be good. Yeah, and and you don't always know. Actually, I'm, I, we'll get into that in a little bit because I have a question for you about that. But I wanted to bring up something that we were chatting beforehand that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting. So, you know, folks go into a bar, maybe bartenders go into a bar, and traditionally people think that, like, the daiquiri is the acid test or a martini. But you mentioned to me that the missionary's downfall, perhaps of all tiki drinks, is the one that a tiki guy, say Brian Miller comes into your bar, this might be the one he's he's ordering to kind of test you in a way, in a friendly way. Yeah, definitely, yes. 100%. I mean, uh, if I go in a tiki bar and then a missionary don't fall is good, I think, okay, this guy know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, the Mai Tai, Mai Tai is too easy. Mai Tai is too easy. Also, Mai Tai is complex because you need to use, everybody have his own idea of Mai Tai, which is also I don't understand. You know, the, I use this, I use that, I use that. Mai Tai is one, okay? Um, my Mai Tai, I call it new Mai Tai because I add a few things in my way. But my Tai is a Mai Tai. There's nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting idea. And also, like, I imagine a lot of listeners right now might be thinking, oh, you know what? Like, not not as a test, but you go into a bar. You know, like, there are drinks in the classic cocktail realm, too, that you order that and someone behind the bar looks at you and they're like, okay, are you a bartender? Are you in this industry? Because how do you know that one? Most people don't know that. Yeah, and I feel like exactly. this is a lot, of, maybe a lot of listeners will take away from this, like they want to go to their local tiki tropical spot and and order this drink and hopefully receive a good version of it. And you know what? Maybe some of those bartenders might be listening to this and, and, and getting your pro tips here today. So okay, that would be great. you spoke about the, the, the kind of techniques and you gave us an overview of the ingredients. This, of course is a rum cocktail. So I'd love for us to dive into the ingredients now. And that classic old line within this category is like what one rum can't do, three can. Is that the scenario we have going on here? Or are you going with one simple, not simple, but you're going with one white rum for this? Okay, this is uh, actually uh, that kind of drink you can uh, overpour because you need, 
it's like a science. I really, Michel Lanfora take it seriously, I, as you understand. <laughs> yeah. It's not like uh, I make a Negroni or, or, and then I do, I add a little bit more gin or, or, or a little bit more beer. No, no, no. It's not, it's not going to work. This has to be white rum. The white rum, uh, and, and then if you look, light rum means a white, nice, right rum. You don't need to use uh, any complex rum here because uh, the drink is everything together make the drink. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, old fashioned that you pick, uh, uh, in our case, I say rum because we do a rum old fashioned. Mm-hmm. So it's not uh, using 18 years old or 80 years old, which no, no, you need to use. It's very simple, good. White rum, that's it. In our case, we do, uh, we use Havana Club uh, Añejo Blanco, which is nice, cool, I like it, and um, works well for this drink. Mm-hmm. And is this one of those scenarios where I feel like maybe younger or overzealous bartenders might be tempted to be like, hey, I'm going to add some cane juice rum into this versus molasses based to add some funk, but I'm not sure whether this is a drink that really needs that or would benefit from adding that extra layer of complexity, right? Like, I think that that might be a step too far, but am I wrong on that one? No, no, you're right. I mean, I think there are drinks that need to stay where they are. That's it. And then if you want to play with funky this and that, there are a million of drinks to play. So, Michelle, I don't fall. I got so much going on. Why you need to add something else that's going to confuse everything else mm-hmm. because what the, the, the beauty about this drink is all you can say is like uh smooth very smooth it's very elegant yeah you know it's complex in its simplicity if that makes yeah, any exactly. sense exactly it's 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 a beauty you know you want to see you want to it's nice actually you look at it's very nice to see the texture the way uh, the meat and the pineapple work together when you blend it there is this texture look like paint fantastic uh, if you see if you see my if you see my my photo you will understand that mm-hmm. it's unreal so it's very cool it's yeah it's kind of got like the marbled quality to it or almost exactly like, exactly look like marble yeah or like you use a brush you use a brush like kind of yeah. You know, brush going, yeah. Or you know when you That's pour it. a Guinness and the Guinness is still settling oh and you, that God. nitro. I'm thirsty now. <laughs> <laughs> that was my experience when, when when I had that you know wonderful cocktail at your place. I was like, wow, you Thank know this you. this thing looks looks incredible, and it's it's interesting too because you know this is an aside, but. You know, you drink with your eyes first and, and, and exactly. visually that's how we're first attracted to drinks. This drink has this really interesting thing going on where it does have that marbled effect that we're talking about, but it's not split, right? Like it's it's completely, you know, emulsified, if that's the right term to use here. Like it's together, oh. but it still has that effect going on, which is, yeah, really striking and, and, and definitely like gets the uh, mouth watering. Yeah, and, and I have to tell you one, if any of uh, my bartender colleagues are listening now, you make sure when you make this drink for the like the, the service station, you make sure you pour it when the server is ready to go. You don't want to leave this drink 30 seconds. You want to get this drink right to the table right away. You don't want to wait because it's going to start separating. Mm-hmm. When when the client need uh, when the guest receives the cocktail to be perfect, 
Because if they don't know anything about this cocktail, they're going to start seeing that uh, the pineapple and mint start going up. That's not good. Yeah. It doesn't, it's going to do actually the difference, the opposite effect. Is that also something that you might, whether it's, you know, your bar staff or, or, or whether you're there in the moment too, is that something you might mention to a guest as well? Like kind of encourage them, not that we're trying to make people drink fast no. or get drunk, but you might encourage them like, this is something you really want to, you don't want to sit on too long, like to, to, to fully appreciate it. Is that something you mm-hmm. might mention? No, no, we always say that. Also say, in case you see, uh, just mix it up with a straw, with a spoon, whatever you like. But Because it seems the, the, the texture of the drink is like this. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. So there, there is an experiment I'm doing now, actually. And, and I'm, I'm trying to clarify it. Huh. So I'm going through a process now. I did it two days ago. And then um, probably this week, I'm going to be done. I'll let you know. I'll let you know, so we'll send you a picture. <laughs> hey, I can't wait to see that because I know you, you know, and this is a little aside, but you got previous in that front. I, I, I've i tried your uh, clarified pina colada and let me just say that thing comes out, served pretty much like a like a martini and it's phenomenal. Yeah, we call it the martini colada. <laughs> yeah. So good. And, uh, and, and actually, you know, we are being uh, trying to, uh, the clarified things is a big, it's big now. People like it. Also, it looks like always a cool drink. And uh, mm-hmm. we just uh, come out with the Miami Vice. Um, uh, clarify is beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. So, quick question for you on that front too, because you you know you're a guy that that really does appreciate the history here of that category and and pays a lot of homage to the, you know the history of that. But you're also, by all accounts, it seems very open to this experimentation. Is that something you think that that guys like Don himself would have really like loved to see too, or does that not bother you in any way? No, actually, I mean, Don or, or even Trevick themselves, they were innovators. Yeah. They were doing things. I mean, Don de Bichcomber himself, what he did is uh, he took a dietary as inspiration, a planter sponge as inspiration. As you know, the magic formula is still working today for any kind of drink. This is one of sour to sweet, three of strong, four of weak. So any good drinks need to have this magic formula that allowed you to make a perfect drink, mm-hmm. perfect balance. So what he did that on the combat with the dietary formula, the appendix formula, they just say, why I need to use only one sugar, one kind of sweetness, why sweetener? Why you can use honey or can use uh, uh, phalarum or whatever he was using. And then why you can use only lime, I can use a grapefruit, passion fruit, mm-hmm. you know, to for the acidity, for the sour part. And the best part, I like it actually, why I need to use only one rum when I can blend the rum and then make it, you know, special with using a rum from Jamaica and a rum from, uh, from Puerto Rico, rum from uh, Guyana and make my own blend to give this cocktail a different, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, character and then uh, the spiciness and this and that. So that's pretty much, I think uh, uh, nowadays if Don Dibs come over here and say, okay, I love this, cool, man. He might be Great doing, he might be doing crazier stuff even than that and, I love, oh yeah! <laughs> I love that you also call out that formula there because I was just chatting about this with, with with another bartender recently, and it's like, hey, that's the one you got to know because if you turn up at a party and you're the drinks guy, and people are like, make me something, here's some stuff. If you can remember that formula, chances are 
whatever you're mixing, if you follow it, it's going to turn out banging. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's a good one. Um, I'm going to bring us back to the ingredients now. The second one here, you know, creme de pêche, right? Is, yeah. is that indicative of the era? Because it's not really an ingredient you see thrown around, well, used a lot these uh, days, or I am I wrong? I don't think it was creme de pêche. was a peach brandy, which peach. is popular. Okay, so a peach brandy. Tell me about that. Well, peach brandy, I can... I, well, it's going to be nice. So, first of all, I don't know if you know, probably... I didn't have a chance to give you uh, something to take home. I, I have my own brand. Of peach brandy? Yeah. Wow. It's called Alamea. I make uh, spice rum, Hawaiian coffee liquor, all spice, pimento drum, and coconut rum, and peach brandy. So um, I started doing peach brandy probably 15 years ago, maybe more homemade peach brandy which um this is a funny story you know uh, this is back i was back in italy after after america went back to italy opened my bar and then uh, you know in uh, august is and in, in uh, the region where it was just uh, when i opened my bar it was in bologna i still have actually this bar bologna and that's called emilia romagna region is very popular for brandy mm-hmm. and very popular for peach so in august this uh, farmer I used to call us, hey guys, I have peaches. Can you come for free? Because there's so many, I give like a few dollars. And then I used to buy a lot of peaches, a lot, I'm talking about probably 100 kilos peaches. Oh, wow. Yeah, so what I'm going to do, I was starting to get the good peach, really without any mark, put on the side. The one uh, where a little bit, uh, a little bit with a mark, uh, cut it. And and uh, and um, start making uh, uh, sangrias for a special for weeks, and the other one, which is already a little bit, you know, not good here, is to use to blend it, the frozen to make bellini all year round. Then with the good peaches, I used to cut in half, take off the the bone, and place it in a huge many. I have many many jars, like big jars, mm-hmm. like, uh, and I pour brandy. Previously mix it with a little bit of honey. And would this be unaged brandy or, or, or aged uh, no, slightly? Aged brandy, usually aged brandy we, we find, like Vecchia Romagna, something like that. Nice. Like a beautiful brandy. And I used to cover up, keep it there for like three to four months minimum. And then I start to strain it out for like two, three times, like strain it out all the time. And I was making, every August I was making the peach brandy for the rest of the year. One day, I uh, I was there by chance because I was traveling a lot around the world. And then I was in uh, my place. And then a guy walking with uh, a big uh, name of bartending in Italy. Two, they want me to try a vermouth gin. I said, but this place is not like a vermouth gin. They say we do tropical cookies, right? Then... I tried for respect and everything. I like it. And then uh, this guy was the owner of the son. I mean, family, uh, part of the family, they own this distillery this, uh, called Casoni. Mm-hmm. Casoni Distillery has been uh, uh, around since 1824. <laughs> so they know what they're doing. It's one of the biggest liquor uh, distillery, liquor factory. Jeez. So uh, these, uh, they do a lot of private labels, you know. We're talking about distillery make 20 million bottles a year of everything. Possibly, you know, a lot of things you see in the airports, 
that you never see in the bar, probably making that. Interesting. You know, also a lot of private label for supermarkets, for other brands, blah, blah, blah. A lot of Amaro that you probably know, they're making that too. So anyway, the family decided to do the old liquor that the grand-grandfather used to make. So the liquorizia liquor, the anice, the, the, the vermouth, they used to make it, no? So they decided to bring back this brand, and they opened a section in the factory. That day, I say, Paolo, listen, I want you to try something. Because I have this idea, I would love to make this like uh, available for, you know, everyone, all bartenders around the world, in Italy, whatever. And then I give him a taste of uh, all my product I was making, the coffee, the peach brandy, the coconut, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, he called me a week after and said, you know what, I love this. Can, can you come talk? I said, I went there. We talked, he showed me around. And then two weeks later, he called me back again, come, I have something for you. Wow. He gave me a taste of whatever I was making at home in the restaurant, which was illegal. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, and then he made it for me. And then honestly, I had to fix it a bit. You know, add a little bit of this, less sugar there, a little more color there. At, after like another two months, we were ready. And then in the meantime, I prepared the brand, the idea, the concept, the inspiration about it. And in 2017, I launched it in a, in the BCB in Berlin. The bar show, like the, oh, nice. The bar convent in Berlin. I had my booth, it was amazing. And the peach brandy was the heat. Peach brandy is incredible. Nice. So, obviously, I use my own. I use my own. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, why would you do any otherwise when, what, yeah, when you've gone through that kind of process there uh-huh. to make that? That's phenomenal. And, 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 you know, is that fairly widely available for folks that are looking to get some or in general are no, peach no, brandies? No, no, no. Fortunately, no, because I I have to tell you the truth. I fired my importer in America. I, I'm, ah. I'm available in 17 other countries around the world, but not in America not at the moment. America. So if anyone uh, can help, I will be happy to, you know, to start a conversation. And I bring it back to America. I do have some stock there for me. And then um, I'm going to be in trouble soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but for now, for now, I will figure that out. Maybe uh, need to take a little trip to Europe and uh, check some luggage. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just pretend it's olive oil. Yeah, no, no, I can't do that. I can, I can ask somebody to send us olive oil. Exactly. Exactly, olive oil. There's a lot of olive oil keeps getting shipped, especially to our office. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do we do a lot of salads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, so final question on that front, though, before we move on to uh, I want to go get into pineapple. But final question here. So, I'm I'm guessing that ultimately the the peach brandy is higher in alcohol than creme de peche, which is what you see in a lot of recipes online. Apologies for the error that there initially, and I'm guessing it's maybe not as not quite as sweet as creme de peche either. No, exactly. But also, creme de peche probably is made with uh, regular alcohol, so like a grain alcohol. So you want to use a peach because peach brandy because you want also this kind of brandy kick mm-hmm. in, into it. So nice. What are, there are there are I mean you know, there are several brandy uh, peach brandy available uh, in country. So uh, whatever they find to use um, is fine. Nice. So pineapple, we mentioned, obviously, fresh, we're using here, real pineapple. Um, 
Mm-hmm. How are you deciphering whether that pineapple is ready yet or not? Because obviously, you know, you want it to be ripe, but that's not easy to um, ascertain. Are you are you sniffing the bottom? Are you feeling it for ripeness? Like, what are some methods here? Honestly, I have to tell you the truth. I. I've been to Exotico, we buy uh, around 1,000 pineapple a month. Oh, my God. So, and, and I always have a good one. <laughs> because <laughs> because uh, we do, we do, we sell food in the pineapple. We, 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 we use the skin for doing, we do um, uh, rum uh, aged and, and infused with pineapple for cocktails. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use the skin for garnish. We use the flesh for, for, for juices so and then uh, if the pineapple comes is too green i leave it there and then i use the another box but uh use mallet use mallet um uh, you can see it you touch it you see it also you can uh, you know pull out the, the thing and then you see it come out easily that means it's kind of ready to go mm-hmm. and um honestly uh the best way you cut it because anyway you're only going to do when you you need garnishes so garnishes in time if it's too ripe, it's not good because it doesn't look good. It looks a kind of mushy. You know? Got it. So you want you want something right, but not that ripe and not that be you know mm-hmm. green. So and when you you cut the pineapple, you see okay, this is good for garnish. This is good for missionary. And this is need to go blend it right away. Got it. So and you know just how uh, Don was planting that 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 mint farm there maybe i i don't know daniele sounds like you might need to uh, start growing pineapples there <laughs> to meet your 1000 per month <laughs> demand incredible yeah so if you think about it, if you make 100 uh, uh, like the weekend we can make around 80 pineapple fried rice so you do the math yeah <laughs> you do uh, you do 250 a week easily mm. easy. Yeah, it sounds like you need to be in the pineapple business, my friend. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I think, I think, oh, I should, I, there is no more land in Miami, they're building everywhere. Uh, I, I tell you what, it's it's incredible. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Um, moving on here to citrus, lime, not much more to say on that one, right? Used fresh, we covered uh, lime a lot, or, or yeah. is there more to say? Honestly, honestly, yeah, so fresh lime, or same thing, huh? fresh lime, can be good, can be bad, because of course you need to do same thing. When you you buy lime, you need to check the lime is right to be squeezed. Mm-hmm. So what we buy already most of the lime we buy, we buy already squeezed. Yeah, because it's easy for us. It takes so much time, energy, and waste, mm-hmm. and then uh, we spend a little bit more. Somebody else, a company, the squeeze uh, uh, oranges, the squeeze also lime. Yeah. And uh, actually, it's still the same. It's a fresh squeezed lime. And sometimes, you know, I like also the one uh, cold pressed, yep. which is uh, always safe because if you buy a case of lime, not every day they receive, you receive a right one. Sometimes you receive is too green, too much skin. So when you, when you squeeze it out, first of all, it takes forever. Second, it doesn't taste the same. And it's a waste of time and money. And then consistency. Of course, if anybody at home want to make it, he's going to go to the supermarket, choose his own line, the one they like it, they buy it. For a bar, is a different story. Yeah, and, and you know your consistency and consistency of cost. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me, especially, again, for an operation like yourselves that's getting through so much of it. That also allows you and your, and your workforce there, your team, to 
spend that time that you would be squeezing lime on on working on other syrups and infusions and and all those crazy projects you got going over there. No, squeezing lime is fine. You know, if you come and want to dye it with lime, no problem. Is 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 for me is consist consistency is the is the key of our business. So. Mm-hmm. And I would say in the bar, we don't have this problem. So that's why you need to keep it always the same. And then, of course, uh, sometimes I go to the market next to my home. Maybe it's between my home and the restaurant, which is eight minutes walking. (laughs) Is the um, this a Latin supermarket? And then Mm -hmm. I go there, and sometimes I buy. They have a beautiful key lime, key limes, those small ones. Oh, I love this. So sometimes I just grab a bag and then I squeeze it myself and make my my own uh, kind of daiquiri or stuff. I buy I buy also bayaba, I buy passion fruit, whatever they have, you know. But I go there, I do my stuff. And then if you come like last week, I, I, bought, I, I smell passion fruit from outside. Oh, my I, God. I went inside, I bought it, and then I went to the bar. I, make, I made my own uh, uh, passion fruit uh, syrup. And then I make free cocktail because I was behind the bar just, uh, you know, for me, everybody was walking there and said, okay, taste this one. I was making uh, my daiquiri, special fruit, it's called dance special daiquiri. It was great. Yeah, no great. One of my favorite things to do is uh, get a fresh passion fruit, cut it in two, pour a whole load of rum into it and do a passion fruit luge. Phenomenal. Nice. You know what we do? Uh, I, we, when I buy special fruit, when I, I also cut in the middle, I pull up, pull out the, the, the puree, mm-hmm. everything, and then I put the, the empty half special fruit in the freezer, and then I use it as a glass. <laughs> nice. Get some of that residual flavor from that. And yeah, I use it as a glass. I pour some rum like you did, or just I pour, I pour the, the cocktail there. As I just, you know, comes maybe a nice cool looking lady, give mm-hmm. it to her and say, oh, wow, nice. <laughs> So final ingredient here for us, um, I, I, I'm, I'm calling this sweetening agent because you mentioned up top that classically this might be a honey syrup, um, but perhaps you also take a different approach to this one. Yeah, so if we look at the recipe from Don the Beachcomber, he, he called it honey mix. Most of the recipes honey mix. And then if you look on, uh, is uh, honey mix is like... Uh, no good to me. It's it's only water basically. You know when you get with your with your kid mm-hmm. sick, you got your throat. Yeah. Hurt. Yes, that's basically only water, which is very watered down. And then um, on on the combat specs, it's like fifty percent equal part only and water. Mm. But it's very uh, watered down. So if you start adding water to the cocktail before even adding ice, so what I do, what I used to do. I used to you do my own a what I call a rich honey syrup, mm-hmm. and then I, I went down to regular honey syrup because the taste of honey was too much. So what it did was uh, like seventy percent of uh, seven part of of uh, honey and three part of um, rich simple syrup it must be hot. So when you mix it up with the honey, it's you know easy to to get a, you know sore. And then it was too much honey also. And then I started to do 50% of honey syrup and 50% of honey. So become like a sweet honey syrup. Then also consistency. If you make uh, your honey syrup, will taste different than mine for many reasons. Because maybe you're, when you make your simple syrup, you don't make it, you don't know, I don't know which kind of sugar you use. 
you can use any sugar, so it will taste different. Then if you want to talk about sugar, I have a lot to say about this. <laughs> then then uh, honey, you can have a lot of honey. You don't know which honey. And then if you take the wrong honey, all the cocktail will taste different. Yeah. So I, I switch the honey and I use blue agave nectar, which is nobody can make blue agave. You need to buy it and taste the same. Then we have to make sure the blue agave is a nectar, is no agave syrup, because agave syrup, otherwise, same thing. It's agave with, with corn syrup or with, or with sugar syrup, whatever. So that you want to... And then, uh, honestly, I tell you the truth, I started working with this company that I, I for many years now, uh, I, I'm one of the testimonial. They make coconut cream. I don't know if you're familiar with... They are coconut cream of coconut. It's mm-hmm. beautiful, and uh, so we come out with a blue agave nectar, and then it's really amazing. And uh, give also this uh, consistency to the drink. Uh, uh, the texture is great, and always tastes the same. If you want an, a little bit, just of this smokiness help, just a little bit is there. Nice. It's great. What I'm hearing again there is uh, consistency again. That's what I'm. That's what I'm yes. hearing here. Yes. So if you want to make it uh, and always the same, you know, if I need to open another exotic in New York, I want to make sure they use exactly the same ingredients. <laughs> hey, we're waiting for you. Uh, yeah, we'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, that's all. But I, and I actually, you know, in missing, uh, we have the meat, which is very important too. Fantastic. Um, now, can you walk us through the preparation of this drink, including quantities as you make it in the bar? I'd love for you to, yeah, walk us through that and, and, and share your recipe with us today if you're, if you're happy to do so. Of course, of course. So first of all, um, you need to, okay, when you, if you squeeze your own line, make sure you, you, strain, you strain it. You don't want to have a piece of uh, lime inside, just, just the liquid. You know, so you strain in the lime, the lime juice, strain the lime juice as well. So it's uh will be a half ounce of half ounce of lime juice, half ounce of each uh, brandy. Um, my case is can be depend how sweet at this point is the peach brandy, and you need one one ounce of blue agave nectar. Then. If this, if the peach brandy is too sweet, I will reduce the uh, the amount a three quarter of the blue agave. That's important. Mm-hmm. You don't want a too sweet cocktail. You know, it's like a woman with too much parfum, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then uh, the original recipe called for one ounce of light rum. This case, I will be a little bit more generous. I will add a little bit more. Of one ounces, mm-hmm. uh, maybe one and a half, yeah, and then uh, dice it uh, pineapple. So make sure that when they cut, cut the pineapple, guys, you have uh, you take off the the bone, the middle, you don't want the hard part, the fiber. You don't need it. You just need a good pineapple to be nice, sweet, right, that right moment. And let's say cut in a in a in a dice size, but maybe. Bigger than that, three pieces. If you like more, like kind of if you smoothie, let's call it smoothie. Mm-hmm. Look like 
And uh, I w- depend how big are the mint leaf, I will go for eight mint leaf. Got regular it. size. Then and then you blend, you put everything in a in a mixer. If you use the stick blender, so you put inside everything goes in the mixer and you blend everything without ice. It's very important. This is the most important part is to mix everything, make a smooth blend until smooth and and then uh, taste it and see if everything is balanced. You need to feel the pitch, the mint, the pen, everything. And, and this drink, really, you can feel everything. Then, when you're sure that everything is perfect, uh, you have already your coupette in ice and cold. can be refrigerator, can be filled up with crushed ice. Of course, I suggest crushed ice for that, especially if you use the stick blender because it's easy, not going to break anything. It's easy, and then you just go, you need to blend it as fast as you can until smooth. And then you pour it right away in, in the double uh, cocktail cupid and stick in the middle uh, meat, meat spring. If this meat spring stay perfectly in the middle, doesn't fall any side, that means it's perfect texture. Nice. I like it. Mm-hmm. Very nice. And then, and then, yeah, folks, consume that puppy pretty fast. So as not to get that separation, but hey, I, I I guarantee you take one sip, you ain't you ain't leaving that drink on the table for long. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I see a lot of bartenders. My they make good definition. Don't fall. They they don't use coupette. They use uh, they use like a snifter glass. They use goblet. They use uh, like uh, also those kind of uh, squalgas like pina colada. Mm-hmm. For me, that drink is so elegant, so nice. Also, you wanna serve. Uh, in a way that you want to sip it, uh, kind of in style, because a very elegant drink. I want to put in an elegant glass. Mm-hmm. I love it, Daniele. Any final thoughts on the missionary downfall before we head into the weekly recurring questions to wrap up our show today? Uh, well, missionary downfall is um, oh wow, wow. I mean, you have to try it. You have to try it, and then. Uh, I hope the bar you guys are gonna go, uh, or you're gonna make at home. You're gonna fall in love right away, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's great. It's a great drink. You know, people people use that term "drink of summer" a little too much for my liking these days. But this one uh, could be the drink of summer every summer, especially when you start getting into it. Yeah, I I believe I believe that uh, this drink uh, can be served also in a in a three star Michelin star restaurant as a as a, you know, mouth cleaner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I would not surprise if I, we go to eat in a super high-end restaurant and they give you something like this in uh, between courses. I would not surprise. Nice. All right, then. Let's head into the questions, Daniela. And I'm going to hit you with question number one here. What style or category of spirit, I think we might know the answer to this one, typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Oh my God! Uh, yeah, you know why? So, uh, uh, rum. <laughs> <laughs> so rum is uh, rum is uh, is a special thing. I mean, always say always because uh, I always say they say as Italian. I don't know maybe people like it or not, but 
I'm, I was about enough, lucky enough to grow up in uh, with Italian culture that we appreciate wine, right? So wine has such a huge variety as the sugar cane. And if you love wine, you have to love Rome because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a life. I mean, if you have been a rum distillery or is a, you know, is a sugar cane field, wow, it's, it's amazing. It's a, a rum is a, a, a character you know, of the place of it, where it's been made. Mm-hmm. Uh, rum has a different way. You know, as we know, I have a different category of rum, different style of rum different, you know, way to make wrong and uh, fit pretty much everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, no surprises on the answer to that one, to be honest with you, but... uh <laughs> you see, you see, you see in my bar, so uh, I don't know if you have a chance to count the wrong, but it should be a long time too. Yeah. Yeah, and you and you have that, you have that wonderful uh, vintage library there that people should check out with the old rum selection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is nice. Question number two for you now. Which ingredient or tool do you think is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? Wow, the stick blender. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Keeping it on theme with the answers for these ones. I love it. Yeah, no, you know, because think about it. You can make pretty much everything. Even if you want to make a daiquiri, you want to make a daiquiri, you want to do your, when you're going to melt your sugar in, uh, in, in the lime, you can use that one. It's gonna, it's gonna fluff it out a bit, and then, uh, and then, you know, you add. Uh, we use actually at the restaurant. We use the spindle blender, which is great as well. Mm-hmm. It's another tool set everybody should have. It. Not only for ticket drinks, for you know mixing up, uh, you know, before shaking. Sometimes it's better. Even if you do a, a, a Ramos gin pitch, you use that one. You know, maybe help us better. <laughs> Going to save you a lot of <laughs> save you a lot of hassle on that one for sure. All right, then. Question number three: What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? Be yourself. Yeah, love it. I, I um, yeah, be yourself. That's it. That's one. That's that's a, that's always I remember myself. Mm-hmm. That's great. All right, second to last question, penultimate one here for you today. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be? Oh, God damn. I wasn't ready for this. Uh, I am. Um, only one. can do a, like a, a bar tour. <laughs> 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 well, I, will, I, will, I, can, I would love to say a few, but yeah, I mean, I mean, a bar that's still open. Or it can be, yeah. it can be fictional. No. It can be closed no, already. But, but, no, fictional, of course. You know the answer. I will go to Don the Beachcomber, mm-hmm. definitely, mm-hmm. In, in Waikiki, or probably in Chicago, probably in Chicago. I probably will go, yes, Don the Beachcomber in Chicago, where I probably have to meet uh, also Mariano Licodine behind the bar, mm-hmm. which is the, by the bartender after they opened the Micah here in, uh, in Fort Lauderdale. Nice. All right, then, last question for you here today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? Oh, hmm. Have to be a cocktail, definitely a cocktail. Well, some folks have said champagne before, which is not a cocktail, as you well know. But, no, uh, yeah, probably. I mean, it's not no champagne fraud. No, probably I need something. I'm gonna get a probably Hello Pacific. 
will be going to kick my ass right away. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, probably, you know what? I will try, I will go ahead with my clarified zombie, the one we make and count. Yeah. We call it the ghost. The ghost. <laughs> it's got a it's got a wonderful kick to it, that one. Probably you try it? Yes. And yeah, you know what? I, I definitely feel like if you had that drink on your way out, perhaps um you'd leave feeling pretty happy. <laughs> I have a question for you now. Can I? Do you think I should put a limit for one or that one, not for two? It's ah, it's interesting. Well, I think what you do with that that I loved as well is you offer the opportunity to try it as a smaller or a, not over crushed ice, but in the Nicanora glass, right? Exactly. Yes. Uh, should it be a, a limit of only one, only so that people try other drinks on the menu because they got to yeah. try them all? But um, I do love that with the you know with the the, the romanticism and that that you know the the original limit on that one. I think it's a a fun yeah, the story. Combat was a, a genius, absolute genius. Daniele, thank you so much for joining us today on today's episode, the first of many, I think. Yes, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. I can say that was a bit nervous. You know, your 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 show is big. Uh, you are amazing and. I get all my guys listen to your podcast now, you know, since uh, uh, I say, it's, I, yeah, my son actually enjoy a lot as well. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Um, well, listen, I'm long overdue a visit, even though I was just there, I'm long overdue a visit. So I'll hopefully see you soon. All right. Let me know. You let me know when you come and then um, we have dinner together this time. Fantastic. Until next time. Cheers. All right. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay, I know what you're thinking, folks. That was a lot of info. But here's the good news. Every single episode of Vinepair's Cocktail College is published on vinepair.com as a transcript. So you can check it out there all over again. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe. And please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seasai, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen, folks. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.